Hey everyone, it is Monday, and you know that means we start off our expert series strong. We bring on Greg Dickerson. How you doing, sir? Doing great. Mondays with Michael. How are you doing? <laughs> I got to tell you, I love that. I'm doing well, man. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation since Friday because I have come to believe uh, that we are about to see a, a particularly safe asset become less safe. And investing speak, that means cap rate expansion. So what I wanted to talk with you is, hey, let's talk about cap rates. Let's talk about what it is, how it's used by the average investor, how you use it, and then really talk about the evolution because I think there is a particularly safe, historically safe asset that is not going to be safe for the next decade. So uh, what do you think about cap rates? Cap rates. So cap rates are a very misunderstood thing. So the definition of a cap rate, when you look at the dictionary, you look at Investopedia, the financial world definition of a cap rate is the return. It's the rate of return expected by an investment in a real estate property. Mm -hmm. So if you're going in and you're paying cash for a piece of property, a stabilized asset, fully mm -hmm. stabilized, and you pay cash for it, the net operating income that you receive in exchange for that purchase represents the cap rate that you pay. Yep. So if you divide the net operating income by the purchase price, that gives you a cap rate, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the definition of it. The problem is, is that it's only good for a stabilized asset. And mm -hmm. then of course you have to factor all of your costs, you know, to close that transaction transaction mm -hmm. into the equation. So you gotta take the net operating income, the cost of the purchase and all that to get a true net you know, um, income off of that property for the first year, and then it's ongoing. Now, cap rate is used to value commercial properties because, it, you know, which, which represents a sentiment. So it's a market sentiment. Yes. So the market feels like these assets are worth X multiple of the income that's generated, which is a cap rate. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at a cap rate and cap rate in terms of, evaluating a potential opportunity or investment is a pretty meaningless uh, metric to use. <laughs> so if you're looking at nothing but cap rates to make an investment decision, you know, you, you could be missing the boat just by relying solely on a cap rate. Mm -hmm. Now, appraisers use cap rates. So they, you know, when you value a commercial asset, you look at the income approach, which is a cap rate based valuation. You look at the replacement cost and you look at comps. That's how commercial properties are appraised. So, you know, cap rates are a tricky thing. Um, but what it is more than anything else is, is a measure uh, of market sentiment in terms of the value of an asset, the type of a property and the class of a property, and sometimes the risk, because <laughs> a lot of people think that cap rate can indicate risk and level of risk, and that's not always accurate either. So it, it's a lot of things, and it's something that you just have to kind of take with a grain of salt um, and understand that it's a stabilized asset return metric. Yeah, cap rate is one of those terms that gets in my world gets thrown or again, right, I'm the single family guy in this space. But I talk to plenty of, you know, single family folks that want to go multifamily, lots of people multifamily throw it around like, hey, they throw it around like it is um, gospel, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, it's the only variable to make a decision. And that's wrong. If that was the case, you would only buy C class properties in C class areas because those have the highest cap rates. I mean, yeah. that's, that's what it would say. But again, I want to I want to talk about cap rate a little bit more before we dig into what I see coming. Um, cap rate can vary by area. I mean, pick. Mm -hmm. let's design a 100 unit building and put it in New York, put it in Denver, put it in Detroit, put it in LA. The same apartment, just pick it up. 
and you will get a different cap rate by area. Is that fair? Oh yeah, even areas of New York City. So if you're exactly. talking about New York City, not the state, but the city, mm -hmm. Manhattan's going to be very different than Brooklyn. It's going to be very different than Queens. Going to be right. very different than same you know. physical asset. I just want people, the, the novices, to realize that even mm -hmm. in an area, the same physical asset dropped anywhere in the country can have a different cap rate. Yeah. Ops. Okay. Uh, second, classes within the same street. Like let's pick any street, whether it's New York City, Man, uh, Madison Avenue or Main Street, Timbuktu. Two buildings right next to each other, one brand new, one 50 years old, one's a class A, one's a class B minus C, whatever, different cap rates, correct? Yeah, it can be. And, you know, again, classes are generally um, defined by age mm -hmm. and condition of the asset itself yep. and the market area that it's in. But you can have a 200-year-old building that's been totally refurbished, so that For could sure. be a Class A right next to a brand new one. But yes, you can have them side by side. One can be a Class A, one can be a Class C. I just want people to realize that when people throw cap rates around and then they say, hey, get a five cap or get a nine cap in New York, that doesn't tell you the full story is, I guess, what I'm trying to... Exactly. Yeah. You could have a Class D property in Manhattan right next to a Class A brand new office building. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Awesome. So historically speaking... The lower, uh, this is my opinion. If you agree, great. If you don't, tell me where I'm wrong. But historically speaking, the lower the cap rate, the less risky an asset is perceived by the investors. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Okay. So a four cap is seen as less risky than an eight cap. Right. For the, for the, yeah, all things being equal. Yeah, like all things being type asset. Yeah, yeah. I mean, asset to asset. I'm just, I'm just want people yeah. to understand you know, when people throw out this term, what it could mean. So uh, when you are buying a four cap, right, or someone is buying a four cap, um, again, it's a stabilized asset. They are also making assumptions about the future. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a bond. It's a yield play. Exactly. So they probably are, are calculating rent growth. Uh, they are probably calculating capital improvements, uh, value add, right? There are operating costs, right? Because again, NOI, right? You're taking gross rents mm -hmm. minus expenses. So that ex there's that expense number. Um, those are all considered in that rent growth being one that's, you know, probably most important. Is that mm -hmm. fair? Yeah. Well, you know, so when you get into the lower cap rate deals that are mm -hmm. stabilized assets, class A, there's not a lot of upside. These are core assets. And, okay. um, and I want to clarify another thing. So cap rates are confusing. So is type and class. Yes. So for people that are listening to understand, a lot of people use uh, multifamily. They call that a class. They call yeah. self-storage a class. They call industrial a class. Okay. Real estate is, a, is an asset class. Mm -hmm. And within real estate, there are types of properties. Correct. There are commercial there's multifamily, you know, there's industrial. And within those types, there are subtypes, mm -hmm. you know, of different, different types of properties, hospitality, land. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's really only seven types of real estate, you know, the commercial, multifamily, industrial, land, hospitality, uh, and retail and office. There you go. Those are your types. And within those types, you have subtypes and you have classes, A, B, C, D. So real estate is a class. Mm -hmm. Multifamily is not a class of real estate. Within multifamily, there's class A, B, C, D, you know, da, da, da. so I wanted to clarify that because a lot of people get confused. Well, what did I hear class on this and that? And what's this class stuff? Yeah. You know, um, so uh, just understanding that, um, 
And then, you know, in terms of the low risk and what, what, a, what a core asset is, so if you're buying a 3-4 cap, that's a core asset generally for the institutional buyer that's looking for a yield play, a bond play, they're looking long-term, they're not always uh, projecting rent growth. What they're projecting is a consistent flow, almost like an annuity. Okay. So it. they're not saying, hey, we can raise rents on a core asset. They're just saying, hey, this is a core asset. We don't right. need to raise rents. We know what our predictable yield is going to be over a 20-year period. But they're not forecasting rent drops. Yeah, I mean, they're going to stress test it before they buy it and understand you right. know, what, where that is. But but no, they're basically saying it should hold here. Right. It should go up. Yeah. But we're happy with it right here. Yeah, we're happy here. Right. And, and any upside mm -hmm. is great. But the but the downside, again, it's a core asset. So the downside is relatively protected when they exactly. make the acquisition. And okay. they're going to look at it both ways. They're going to have a pro forma that says we should be able to increase rents. We should be able to increase operational efficiencies. Yeah. You know, this, that, and the other to increase the income. Ultimately, yeah. the value is based on the income that you, on the net that you income, generate. Right? Uh, but they're also going to stress test the downside. Okay. You know, and, and say, hey, where are we in trouble? And, yeah. uh, and we'll get into that in a minute and what that means, yeah. you know, um, based on your video you did the other day about, you know, these things losing value. And yeah. So, uh, my, my, again, I, again, I'm going to give you my opinion. Please tell me where I'm wrong. When I think core asset, I think class a name brand hotel or, or name brand apartment building, you know, peak rents, all the amenities, you know, that that's when I think of core asset, right. Hedge fund or an insurance company or whoever's the buyer of these things, it is the primo property. Hence the, the lowest cap rate is. Is that fair? Yeah. Is that where core plays? Yeah, in a prime market location. In a prime market, so, thank you. Yeah, so primary market locations. You have primary, secondary, tertiary. Ah. Primary markets are like, you know, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., you know, Los Angeles. Those mm -hmm. are your big primary core markets gotcha. with core assets. Yeah. Um, core can also mean urban core, but it's sure. generally core meaning big primary market. Uh, then you have your secondary suburban markets. Yep. You can have class A assets in there as sure. well. Sure. Uh, and then you have your tertiary markets, which generally you're not going to see class A. I mean, they're going to be new assets, but they're not going to typically be your traditional core, what you would call a core class A asset, which is in a primary market in a, in a major metro. Perfect. Awesome. So now we've got to really where my brain has gone this weekend. And it really, I don't know, scared me, also brought up opportunities. But I was thinking about this core markets and I'll just use San Francisco and New York as examples because I think everybody realizes what kind of pain is going on in those markets. I'm, I'm starting to ask myself, what happens if those historically core least risky markets are suddenly the most risky, right? We are seeing in New York and San Francisco, 20% rent drops already. We are seeing record vacancies in both cities. We are seeing three, four, five months of free rent being offered to re-sign leases. All of that leads me to believe that, first off, top line revenue is going to take significant hits. Second, operating expenses are going to go up because I know managing buildings with turns is more expensive. And then the real kicker is if these once core assets, lowest cap rates aren't seen as the riskless asset that they once were, what happens to values? I did a video, I think it was Saturday morning where I turned a hundred million dollar class A property into a $50 million asset, wiped out the equity entirely 
and required a, a thirty million dollar capital call if the if the owner wanted to keep it. Um, it's pretty scary stuff. So, uh, am I crazy? I mean, when when somebody owns a core asset like that, I mean, rent rents are falling in San Francisco, New York, right? I mean, where where am in, I wrong? In certain areas, yeah, in certain areas, and you know, so again, it's all you know, location based. Mm -hmm. And when you look at cities now, San Francisco is different. What's driving that was Silicon, is Silicon Valley. Okay. It's those, those jobs, which are now spreading throughout the country. Yeah. So we are in a world moving forward where you're no longer going to be required to have to live in San Francisco to work for a tech company. Yeah, Their employers Valley. are telling them to leave. They're telling right. them like, go. So Manhattan's a little bit different. New York's a little okay. bit different. San, San Francisco has unique challenges that New York doesn't have. Okay. okay? Um, the homeless thing is, is, is a big problem in San Francisco. Oh, you don't yeah. see that going on in New York. You, okay. you don't see people pinching, pitching tents on sidewalks at scale. You yeah. know, in every overpass in San Francisco has a tent city. Yeah. That's not happening there. They, they, okay. they've got pretty good control over that. And, um, the, the other thing is it's New York, right. And you're talking about 8 million people. So mm. what we've seen a couple hundred thousand, maybe leave the city, you know? So, I mean, that's not, that's not going to put a dent in New York. Mm. What you got to watch in New York is more inventory than Exodus. Okay. So Hudson Yards, for everybody who's watching, go Google Hudson Yards and look at that, you know, yeah. millions, Massive. it's the largest real estate development in the country ever vacant. You know, it's a, it's a city within New York that's just been built and brought mm. on the line vacant office buildings, residential units, mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of these things, the new product being brought online that's going to sit Mm. hotels are going to be closing left and right. I mean, the hotel industry has got some major, major pain coming in the next year. If they don't try to clear the books with those, those assets this year, it's going to be next year. Yeah. A uh, lot of pain in the hotel industry, a lot of pain in the office industry, residential. I'm not so concerned with no. because it's not enough people yet yeah. to make a dent at scale. Not concerned. Entire, you know, the entire market. Now, I don't know about San Francisco. There's a bigger problem there, I think. Yes, yeah. Than there is than there is in New York, but you are seeing a lot of millennials leave New York mm -hmm. because they're paying exponentially more to live there for the amenities that they can no longer enjoy, mm -hmm. and they no longer feel safe enjoying because, yeah. you know, again, they they generally do a pretty good job with crime in New York, but with the civil unrest that we've seen the last, you know, several months. Um, you know, people are starting to feel unsafe. They can't even go out to eat without being accosted, yeah. you know, by protesters, you, yeah. you know, things like that. Not good. So there's a lot of those types of things happening and um, it hasn't been so much lately, but uh, that's, that's really concerning people. But I mean, New York's New York, man. There's people that they ain't leaving. They ain't going nowhere. It's, it's, you know, the greatest city in, in the world. Hmm. You, you know what I mean? In terms of economic activity. Yeah. So what'll happen is, as these assets decrease in price, they'll get to a point to where somebody will snap it up because it's an annuity. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, but, but, but hold on. Anywhere. Yeah. So, so absolutely. There's always a clearing price in good assets, mm -hmm. but I guess what I'm, what I'm thinking is I believe every crisis teaches us something. Mm -hmm. And what I also believe is every crisis um, challenges a once long held belief. For example, the housing crisis, the Great Recession, you and I know near and dear, challenged the mindset that houses only go up, right? That was a, 
I mean, everybody said it, right? Even though we knew logically it wasn't true, but everybody was saying it. I mean, yeah. every and cocktail. The biggest, best investment you're supposed to make is a house. Yeah. I got I got married in 1990. I was 23 years old. And that's the first thing we did was buy a house. Yeah. That's what I was told. Yeah, exactly. Buy a house as soon as you can and buy as much house as you can. Exactly. Stretch. Max it out. Max it out. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the mindset in the Great Recession. I believe a lot of new YouTube entertainers and all of this are looking at today's market and pointing at the last recession and saying, see, it's going to happen again. I've done endless videos the last 10 days and basically saying you idiots are wrong, right? I've even done math to show how stupid they're being, right? Again, just real quick. I did a video yesterday showing how a six and a half percent mortgage on 250 grand equates to a 400 grand mortgage at 250. You guys are freaking idiots. It's not going to happen. But where I'm going with this is, the long-held belief today that I think is going to be challenged is what we've been calling core or low cap rate assets are riskless right. or perceived riskless. I see cap rate expansion. And if you take cap rates from four to five, five to six, you know, just at one point, it makes a huge difference in value. And, and where I'm going with this is commercial paper, unlike residential, will reset, right? Or will come due, right? Three, five, seven, 10 years. And if the bank comes back and reappraises and the cap rate's gone from five to seven and income's down and expenses are up, your equity's gone. Well, so. not only that, what a lot of people don't realize when you, you know, execute a CMBS loan, which generally those assets are financed under or an agency loan, Fannie mm -hmm. and Freddie, mm -hmm. in the loan covenants, they're going to have um, requirements of equity, requirements of value, requirements of income levels and occupancy. Yeah. So you can be, you know, you can be placed in default if your occupancy drops below a certain percentage, if your debt service coverage ratio gets below a certain percentage, um, you know, that they want for the loan, if the value gets below a certain percentage, you know, they can declare you in technical default and foreclose on the property. Now, this is exactly where I wanted to go because I see that happening. I mean, if there was a class A asset traded in 2018 or 19 and you have like three or four year, five year terms, I'm very concerned for you because you A, paid near peak pricing. You had assumptions that probably had rent growth or at least no rent decrease. Now you could be operating, and especially if you're urban, like condos or something, like tall towers where you got to wait half hour for an elevator. Oh my God, those, those assets are going to have more vacancies than planned for, rent drops. And I guess the question is, when can they, when do they, do they test it every year? I mean, when does the bank come in and go, hey, let me go look at your asset? Is it once a year? Can it be any time? It depends on your loan. Sometimes you have to submit. Um... You yeah, know, your financial documents on an yeah. annual basis, you yeah, know, um, that. generally that's, that's standard in, you know, in the current environment, they could be asking for certain operators. They might be asking for it more often. It depends on mm -hmm. how current you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're current, things are going well, minimum annually, you got to resubmit your, your financials. That's true. Um, but if you're, if you're in a situation, they're going to ask for it, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah. And then this leads me to my next point is I don't see, the same residential pain, meaning banks taking back single family homes is just not there. But yeah, you know, it's interesting. So the forbearance program, so a lot of people yeah. are putting um, stock in the forbearance program and, and it's, we just saw a report out today that, you know, it's up yep, for the I month that, that yep. you know, more people entered, entered the forbearance program than they thought. So you got to understand again, what forbearance is. It's a break. Most people, you don't have to do anything, but call up and say, Hey, yep. I don't want to make my payments. 
no Done. questions asked. They're like, okay, minimum three months. And then you, you can extend yeah. from there. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain number of people that are already in extensions, but people are going to take advantage of that as long as they can. They're just building up their cash flow. They're just yeah. storing up money. We have the holidays coming. Yeah. You know, if you've lost your job, you know, even if you haven't, some of them are investment properties, second homes, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, people are utilizing that as a tool to build up cash flow. And if, hey, if they're going to let you miss a payment with no penalty, why not? Now, the thing is, what happens at the end of that forbearance period? Yeah. You know, so that's when you start talking about, you know, modifying your loan and going into loan modification. Now that's when they're going to look a little deeper and they're going to ask you to provide evidence that you are in distress, you lost your job, you couldn't make your payments, whatever. Mm -hmm. But generally, nobody wants 2009 to happen again. The banks understand the damage that could cause. Mm -hmm. And it's only 3 million properties and most of them have equity. So let's assume this all plays out in the next year or so. I mean, you could sell 3 million homes in a year right now oh, with the yeah. demand that's out there. Yeah, I did you know? some. I did so it's some not math. enough to really impact, you know, the housing market. Yeah, it's not now, um, not at all. Yeah. Now, you know, if interest rates went through the roof and, you know, builders all of a sudden, you know, tripled and quadrupled the workforce and, you know, we could we could outbuild the demand, which we can't do for a number of years. You know, there's a number of things that could potentially come together, but, you know, it would take some time, you know, for, for the housing market. Yeah. to significantly change. Yeah, it's not going to happen um, in 2021. Not, no, not, no. It'll, take, it'll take a little bit longer than that. Now, if interest rates shot up, people would stop buying. The only reason you're seeing what you're seeing is because interest rates are at record lows and it makes more sense for a lot of people now to own than it does to rent. It's cheaper to own mm -hmm. or about break even you know, to own a house than it is to rent because rents have gone up so much. So that's where the real, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are missing the boat there. Absolutely. Okay? everybody's been pushing rent, pushing rent, pushing rent. And I've, and I've said on your show over and over and over, you're going to reach a ceiling on rents. You can only charge so much. People can only afford to pay so much for rents. Agreed. And as soon as housing comes down to where the affordability ratio yeah. matches renting, people are going to go buy a house. Absolutely. You know? And that's again, equity. that's what's going to happen again. This is all, I guess the thing that I'm challenged with, and I'm going to ask all my experts this week is, I believe the once safest asset of class A uh, is no longer the safest. I believe cap rates were historically the lowest. Uh, they, they assumed that the tenant, the customer, the millennial, the high income earner wanted to be there for the city life, all these other amenities, lifestyle choices. And I believe this health crisis, especially in San Francisco, to your point, right? They're like, get out of here, leave, right? Disperse. So we're going to see uh, vacancies. The, the, the people that are most financially able to move will move, which is class A, right? The class C tenant doesn't have that luxury. They can't pay movers. They can't, it just doesn't work that way. Um, we're going to see vacancies up. We're going to see rents down. We're going to see risk profiles change. And we are going to see class A assets lost to the bank like we've never seen before. I think that's the... Uh, this health crisis is less. And when we look back in five years, it's going to be, oh my God, class A traded at rates we've never seen before. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm not so sure I agree with that cool. across the board. I think you'll see pockets yeah, where not, that's the case. But when you go to a place like Manhattan, your class A apartment tenant is not some young millennial that just whatever. That's a mm -hmm. high income earner. That's, that's a couple hundred grand a year. Sure. That salary hasn't gone away. Mm -hmm. That neighborhood is not as in much of a, of a problem as some of these other neighborhoods where mm -hmm. your class, you know, B and C apartments are. Mm -hmm. 
So we know right now the people that are losing their job largely are are the people that are renting in you know the, the class you know class C. B class C class D apartments. It's your yep. hospitality workers. Yep. Uh, it's your service workers. It's your retail workers. You know things like that. The white collar class A apartment tenants mm-hmm. are not the ones losing their jobs. Not yet. Now, uh, you know, so so it's really it's really going to be dependent on the market. Like I said, San Francisco has got a bigger problem than a lot of areas, other yes. areas of the country it, for it, a lot of different reasons, not just, sure. you know, the civil unrest, the homeless population and the, the liberal policies that, you know, are letting, you know, things happen, but also because of the Silicon Valley change. Exactly. And what that landscape's going to look like. Very different. So that I think has a bigger impact on a market like San Francisco than DC. DC's, a class A building in DC ain't going anywhere. Yeah. Nobody's leaving DC in that that class A environment. And when mm. you do, you got a waiting list for four or five other people. Okay. The best neighborhoods in New York have a waiting list. Now, mm. that being said, there's class A Hudson Yards vacant because it's oversupply. Yeah. And it's in the wrong area. Mm. You, you know what I mean? In terms of where yeah. a mass of people are going to want to live. Yeah, I want to clarify. I guess my biggest concern is again, I don't think class A, I think class A, again, I think the country is tilting, right? Right, where there's movement out of these big urban vertical cities for the most part south, right? Yeah. And um, I think again, like class A in Chicago, it's gonna be repriced. I think class A in San Francisco, certainly repriced. I do think New York is gonna see some price deterioration. Um, well, so, so again, okay, so it's not necessarily the cap rate that needs to change for that to happen. So if okay. the income drops, it uh, can still right. be a four cap. You're just That's paying true. less because there's less income. That's so that, that isn't necessarily going to happen, you know, because, you know, Manhattan's Manhattan. That, okay. that demand for the right assets in that market's not going to change. The question yeah. is, how much can somebody pay? So when you did your calculation, what you need to look at is yep. what happens to a 400 unit building that loses $100 a month rent or $500 a month rent across all of those units at the same cap rate. That yeah. alone will drop the value 20%. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so let's, I'm gonna do that right now. So 400 units times, I don't know, 3,000 bucks. $500. Okay, 500, okay. 400 units yeah. times 500 bucks a month times 12 equals 2.4 million. What do you wanna make expenses? Divide that by 4%, make it a four cap. Okay. So that's, so that's the NOI is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. That's what you've lost. Okay. I gotcha. Oh, I see what you're saying. I got it. Yeah. You've lost 2 million bucks worth of NOI just with a $500 a month. 60 million bucks. Right. So that asset just lost $60 million in value. The cap rate didn't have to change. That's a good point. You see Ah, what I'm saying? So just, oh, see, so just, I did not do that. So I should go back and look at that math again. Just assume income came down something 10 10% 5% well you know that's a $4000 a month apartment in new york that's now 3500 that's ex- exactly. that's happening and, and that's yeah that's happening oh so that see? building just lost 60 million dollars in value if all 400 units dropped 500 bucks and the cap rate stayed the same wow yeah and then you see what i'm saying oh for sure all right so, so the cap yeah. rates may not necessarily change you know a 3 or 4 cap <laughs> asset will still be a 3 or 4 cap asset but they're just going to pay now What's the actual income? Wow. Yeah. Scary. Scary. Okay. Now it goes the other way too. So mm-hmm. if you buy that asset now at, you know, $60 million less than what, you know, somebody sold it and you get mm-hmm. the rents back up, well, now mm-hmm. you've increased $60 million. Yeah. You didn't do anything but raise rent. 
There you so go. that's that's why the value add game is so popular because mm. it's it's been that easy to do. Yeah. You buy an apartment that's renting 200 units for a thousand bucks a month. You raise that rent. Do this real quick. Okay. Take a hundred dollars a month times 200. All right. One six. So 100 times 200, that's 20 grand. Uh, divide that by 5.5%, five and a half cap. Divided by 0.055. So, that, that, so that's 363 grand. Okay. I didn't you times it by 12. Yeah. You do nothing else. You get 200 mm -hmm. unit building. You buy it today. Mm -hmm. At the end of the year, you've raised all the rents, $100. That's mm -hmm. all you've done, nothing else. You've all of a sudden increased the value of that asset by 360 grand if the market is a five and a half cap for that asset. Actually, let me, let me, I didn't do it right. So I only did um, once a month. I should do, do Oh it. yeah. That wasn't annual. Yeah. I it thought, wasn't. yeah, it was kind of low. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So a hundred bucks times 12. Maybe a million bucks. Yeah. Times 200, you said, right? Equals yeah. 200 units, hundred dollars a month. Yeah. That makes more. Yeah. 4.4 million. Yeah. 4.4. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's the whole game. Right. But again, I, I guess the big fear. So yeah, you're right. Just with NOI going down, which just means top line revenue down, mm -hmm. um, you could see significant evaluations, even if the cap rate stays the same, and you could see the need for capital calls or foreclosures. I mean, a right. $60 million fall, that's enough to wipe out at least a lot of the equity that was there. Is that yeah. fair? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because generally you're going to finance those properties, you know, 60% yep, 60, um, of the value. So you got to put 40 to 50%, you know, equity down on those buildings. That's usually what's going on at the higher level. Yeah. People aren't financing 80%. They're financing no. 60, 65. Yeah. So before you get to default, you can lose 30, 40% of your equity before you start facing that. But again, once that thing drops that much, you know, you could trigger technical default depending on what your loan documents say. Yeah, let's just um, let's just know. do easy math again. Let's say it's a hundred million dollar building. You close with a sixty million dollar loan. It doesn't take a lot of drop in NOI for you to be in technical default, right? If you lost twenty million bucks, you're in default, right? Because now the building's worth eighty million, and you have a sixty million dollar first. You've you've got to do a capital raise. Yeah. Oh, so that's my big fear. That's what I think is going to happen in this this uh, this health crisis. It's not going to be single family. Banks are working. Banks don't want to repeat. Lots more equity, lower mortgage rates, all the things we've talked about. I believe it's going to be multifamily. And again, regional multifamily. Let's be very clear. I don't think this is across the country. I think there are plenty of metros south that are doing great, having rent growth. Atlanta has rent growth. Mm -hmm. um, so this is very urban, big city concerns, I guess I have um, you know, going yeah. on for the next year or two. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, right now, again, it's not enough to make a dent pretty much anywhere. You're talking about 100,000 people here, 200,000 people there in cities. What's the population of San Francisco? I think it's eight or nine million, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's not enough to make a dent there, but it's enough. Like two or 300,000 people going to Atlanta, going to Charlotte, going to When they Nashville. didn't expect them. That's the key. They didn't right. expect them. They didn't build for it. There's no, there's no ready supply. It just raises prices. Yeah, I read an article the other day about some little town in Vermont. It's like a summer vacation destination spot that a lot of people from the, you know, New York, New Jersey go to in the summer. Yeah. That the population of the town was, I don't know, a few thousand. Now all of a sudden 10,000 people have moved there. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like Yeah. Same thing in Lake Tahoe. Uh here just across the Nevada state line for obvious reasons, no state income tax. They've seen price they've seen just crazy things. Uh real estates have gone up 25% in 90 days. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, now schools that's are the other up. thing. So 
you know, commercial real estate, it's all about NOI. So two things are going to affect these areas. So taxes are going to be going up while yeah. rents are going down. Yeah. Insurance costs are going up because of all the fires, floods, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Exactly. It's going up across the board. All of the civil unrest that's happening in these cities, that's increasing insurance rates, yep. you know, things like that. So, you know, all those things chip away at NOI and what we just, that exercise we just did, yeah. you know, we did do that calculation wrong on 200 units. If you raise the rents a hundred dollars a month on 200 units, that's yeah. 4 million bucks exactly. in, that you've, you've improved the value of that property yep. in one year. If you yeah. can raise everybody's rent, just a hundred dollars. Exactly. That's why the value add real estate game is so attractive and so lucrative. The problem is again, you got to be careful because, you know, people will start pushing back at a point yeah. where, you know, the affordability index gets crossed because people can only spend, I mean, in most areas, you know, take the cities out of the equation, you can spend more in a city because you don't have to have transportation, this, that, and the other. But when you're in suburban areas, you know, what is it? 30, 35% 30, is 30, the most you want housing. Yeah. yeah. Before your, and, you know, your housing constraint. Above yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty concerning. Well, very cool, man. This has been fun. I think cap rates is a conversation we should have had before. I'm glad we had it now. I do think NOI cap rates are going to be affecting urban cities down, right? At least the NOI is going to be coming down. And I think there'll be some good, I think there'll be some good deals in multifamily for the people that have the cash ready, uh, you know, in two or three years. So it's going to yeah, be fun. Yeah, well. the, you know, the biggest shooter drop is going to be, you know, hospitality, office and retail. That'll be really interesting to oh, see how that shakes out. 50% there, discounts. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot more issues there than multifamily across the board. Mm -hmm. um, and for those, for everybody who's interested in cap rates, there's a there's a uh, Spencer Levy who is the chief economist for CB Richard Ellis, CBRE, yeah. largest commercial brokerage in the world. Um, he did a YouTube thing on cap rate. If you want to get really confused, go watch him explain the cap rate. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very cool, man. Well, thank you for your time. This has been fun. Uh, any closing thoughts? Oh, no, that's it. You know, it's, uh, it's all, it's all good. It's all opportunity. And it's, it's just different ways to understand where the opportunities created in these, in these commercial, you know, assets, these larger assets. Very cool. Well, Greg, I appreciate your time. You have a wonderful week. All right. Yep. You Thank too. You. All right.